Good, good morning. There we go. It's a little bit better. <laughs> Time to begin. I had handed out this morning uh, a piece of paper. Uh, thought we'd run enough off, but, but we're running more off now. And uh, what, they, what that paper is is a, uh, a listing of, of the seven great I am's statements that are in the book of John. And we're going to be going through those today. Uh, I don't know if we'll get through with all of them, but, but hopefully we will. And I see they're making some more in the back. So when they, when they pop out, they, they'll be, we'll get them around to you. If you have your Bibles, turn them to John initially, chapter 15. And we'll begin there. And it's really good to see everyone here this morning. Before we begin, we'll, we'll have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to be here this morning. We're thankful for the family that meets here. We're thankful so much for the opportunity to to study your word, to open your living word, inspired word, breathed by you, and look through it and engage each other as we grow and learn and try to become more like you want us to be. Be with all the teachers this morning, Father. Give them the strength and the courage and the recollection that, that they need. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm sorry I was messing around with this earlier. It just occurred to me I had turned my hearing aids way down, and I was much louder than I, I thought I was, so <laughs> sorry about that. John, the 15th chapter. And there are some in the back. If you'll raise your hand, if you need uh, the sheet. Um, In John, the 15th chapter, this is where we're going to pick up overall in our study of John. And as you open up that chapter, Uh, Beginning in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already made clean by by the word which I have spoken to you. That is the, the seventh of, of the so-called great I am's. And you will notice on the sheet that you're getting, um, by the way, that I have, we have all seven of them listed because it's, it's critical. We need to know, we've, we've hit these as we had gone through John. We've sort of hit them as they came across them. But it's, it's, it's really critical that you understand, that we really understand these I am statements. Because in reality, I'm, I'm, we're thankful. Everything that we need for life is contained in this wonderful library that God has given us. 
But in reality, if you know, if you really know and everything about these I am statements, you have enough, you have enough to be pretty much what God wants you to be. That's how vital and important they are. You'll notice at the bottom I put an eighth one. I give it an honorable mention. I give it an honorable mention. And I only do that because uh, it, it's, it's, it is one of the remarkable ones. And it's remarkable, if you remember back in John 8, that chapter, uh, Jesus is having a discourse with, with the Pharisees, and they're talking about their father Abraham. And Jesus is talking about his father. And so this discussion ensues. And then when Jesus talks about Abraham like he knows him, oh, yeah, he was, he's a terrific guy, I remember. And they say in verse 57, you're not even yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham, before Abraham, I am. That I am statement is incredible because the first time that we base all these I am statements on, it's, it's, it's based out of Exodus when Moses is, approaches the burning bush and he's given his commission to you know, free, free the people. And he says, well, who do I tell him is sending me? Who do I, who is, who is, who do I say is, is doing this? And he says, it's, I am. But I am. And that is essentially the Hebrew word Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. That's, that's what we got. I am. I am. So that's why when these I am statements come up, they're incredible. But that's also why I gave number eight a special mention. Because it's based on that, but 430 years earlier than Moses and that burning bush... 430 years earlier is Abraham. And Jesus is even going back farther than that. Because the Jews all know the statement, I am, means Yahweh. So he's going, yeah, we're having this discussion. And before 430 years before you heard the word in the bush in your histories, back there with Abraham, I, I, I am, I am. That's, that's me even back there. So it's incredible. So I got to put it down as a number eight. I give it an honorable mention. So in verse 15, it begins and it talks about the, the vine. I am the true vine. And we're going to back, backtrack here and, and pick up these, these seven I am statements and review them. And as I mentioned, the phrase, it's critical because this phrase, I am, is the covenant name for God, of Yahweh, back in Exodus 3. And it's also a phrase that the people that were listening at, at there at the time, the Jews, they would know exactly, exactly what Jesus was talking about. It's critical because every time Jesus says this, he's making his claim to deity. He's saying, I am God. And that's critical universally and 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 all of you that know me and I never spend any time bashing any any religion but the fact that Jesus's deity is a line in stone 
It's not a line in the sand. You know, the line in the sand is there, but you can move it. No, this is a line in stone. And so it's important to note, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses or Latter-day Saints or Oneness Pentecostals or Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormons, Dianetics, um, on and on, deny the deity of Jesus. So regardless of whatever good or bad or whatever you think of him, that's a line. That's, that's, that's a line. You deny the deity of Jesus, sorry, when we have these seven great I am's where he's saying, I am God. I am God. I am. So the very first one we see is in John 6. John, the sixth chapter. And Jesus says, in beginning in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and raise him up on that last day. Many striking things about this particular I am. One of the first ones is, what is the Father's desire? What is the will of the Father? What is the will of God that we just read? Verse 39. Hmm? Okay. Okay. Okay, that's that's true. That is a true statement. In the context of this I am, what is Jesus stated twice for emphasis? What is the will of the Father? That he will lose anything. That he will not lose anything that's given to him. The will of the Father, and this is one of the critical things. The will of the Father, God. Everything is done and in place not to make it difficult for you <laughs> to become a child of his. It's not to, to make it a real tricky gauntlet that you've got to run through and fight your way through to get to. There's nothing there from God to, to try to keep you out of heaven. Everything is there to bring you into heaven. That's his will. His will is that, he, that Jesus shouldn't lose anything, that he will raise him up on that last day as, he, as they will find out as he was resurrected. And then in verse 40, this is the will of my Father that everybody, everyone who sees me and believes will have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. That's the will of the Father. That's the Father. That's the God we serve. Not one to cower in the corner and tremble. This is a God that wants you. Fill in your name. He wants you 
to come home and be saved. What a shock that had to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it had to shake them to their knees because they had a preconceived idea that he was coming here to set up a kingdom on earth, mm -hmm. and he was, mm -hmm. but it wasn't the kind of kingdom they wanted. Right. They just did not grasp that, mm -hmm. and that leads us to where we are today, The Jews, the, the Pharisees specifically, that he's talking to. Yes, they have they have their plan. We we in fact and, and later we'll touch on it. We even have the power to put a curse on you and keep and deny you you from even coming to the synagogue or any of that stuff. We control your access to God. No, here's this Galilean carpenter saying no, no. Isn't that way at all? And today, as you bring up and touch with there's the, the initial basis for anything. I know Josh is working on Sunday nights about evangelism. The initial basis for anything is that we've got to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. Okay? He's deity. That has to be... It's foundational. It's foundational. And again, I want, to, I want us to understand that this, there's so much energy, effort, and it's indescribable what has gone into and continues to go into the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that, that his Father, that the Spirit, they're all working together to bring you home. They want their created beings to be what they were created for and to be back with them as they were created for eternity. Later we'll find uh, in John 8 when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And in 1 John, the first chapter, Verse 5, this is the message we've heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we don't live according to the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, as David Mays has said many times, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's It's... It's that difficult and yet that simple. Walking in the light as he is in the light is not some needle laser light. Uh, Jesus is light. He is light. And when we live, act, and depend solely upon him, we're in the light. He knew what he was doing when he said what he was saying. He still said it anyway. Right. 
he was uh, controlling the narrative and controlling. Well, he says, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And it's an, an incredible statement in and of itself. But there's several reasons. Jesus equating himself with bread, what does bread, what do we, on a physical level? It sustains life. It's, it's what sustains us. Well, Jesus is talking on a spiritual level. He sustains us. He sustains us. His word is the bread of life. He what? His word is the bread of life. His word is the bread of life. And what and, and in context of when he spoke this, what what miracle had he performed just just recently, right before that, having to do with bread and physical substance? He fed five thousand men. So probably 12,000 people, fed uh, 12,000 people. And that's what got him in the the situation, the context he's in. The next day, he's on the other side of the lake, and the the crowds are crazy. In fact, they're even coming in boats, and there's this armada that goes where he was, but he wasn't there. So they all sail across to the other side of the lake to find him. There's a massive, massive throng coming because... This guy made bread, and, and you know, out of out of a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish, he fed thousands and thousands. This guy's incredible. Come, he's gonna. I, it's you know, it's gonna be. Let's get there by noon, ish, because it's gonna be another massive potluck. This thing's incredible. Thousands of people. Here we go. Well, now that's where he is. It's like. Mm. No, no, no. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. I didn't come to bring you bread. I am the bread. It, it just they, from the beginning, from the very beginning of Adam and Eve in the garden, they can't get away from the physical, the material.
talks about not only who often in verse 35 of chapter 6 it says not only do you not will not hunger again but he who believes me shall never thirst he's drawing a parallel back to what he did in chapter 4 with the woman of Samaria says if you drink of my living water you'll never thirst again isn't that our nature though yes. our nature is it, and that's that's where he also brings up the next point we're there where he's in verse 35 these words here they come again you'll never hunger and thirst well he's not talking about if you believe in me your grocery bill is gone (laughs) uh, and they don't care if we shut your water off you know because you're never going to hunger and thirst no it this is the parallel or, or it comes out of his sermon on the mount in matthew 5 when he says blessed are those Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And that's what he's talking about here. You're never going to hunger and thirst again for that righteousness, because believing in me is how you satisfy that. You will become, there's no other way to become righteous to God except with me. And the problem that you've well stated is that so many of us, we don't have that hunger and thirst we have hunger and thirst for all kinds of things. The list is endless, but not enough about do we want to be righteous before God. Only when we think we're going to die or some other thing, maybe it's, you know, a lot of people, it's got to come to something like that before they even want to even think about that. And David makes the point that there are those about it isn't it's it's an active faith. It isn't just believing; it's doing his commands. And as like right out of the right out of the box, when Robbie says, "Just you know, you gotta you gotta do his commands." Yes, but it is vital, and that's why we will spend this time on these ians, and I will always be a champion of it because I believe that's what God's word is about. Though that obedience comes because we believe. We believe who he is. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the Spirit. We believe believe with all my heart. So, yes, that motivates me to, to do whatever there is to do. But to walk at it, but to go at it backwards and go, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, that's a, that's a fool's errand. Because no matter what you say, these are his commandments. Well, the commandments of love God with all your heart and your soul and then love your neighbor as yourself. What does all that mean, see? It's when you start starting from that point, where do you stop and where do you start? Well, we've got to win souls. How many? 
we got to do this. When? Exactly how many? Quantify it. You can't, you can't go that way. You can't go that way. And that's what is wrong with approaching it from the commandment side, putting your weight there. Your weight is belief, and that's what charges you and inspires you to obey. Does that make any sense? And it's a shame that we've grew up singing songs like "Trust and Obey," for there's no other way. Apparently, we didn't. We were just singing it. We know a lot of us obey, and you know, and the trust will come. No, it's trust and obey. There is no other way. And that's, that's why we're going to, before we get going through John again like we did before, we're, we're going we're gonna to hit these IMs and then move forward because it's, it's exactly that. It's exactly that. I, I, here's the, you know, whatever the program is, and we have all these, this and that, and this is how you live, and there's this really inspiring Devo, and have you read this latest book, and all this, and it's all good stuff, it's all great, it really helps me, it challenges me, great. But at the end of the, the, the basis where this thing has to be built is, I am, I am. If you're, if you're doing all of this, if you're getting up, setting your clocks an hour earlier, or whatever it was this morning, and getting here, all dressed up and pretty and ready to go, and we do our thing, and 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 out you go, and, and all the stuff you're just clicking along, for the sense of just clicking along, so that you're going to make sure you do all the things, so that you make sure you don't go to hell. That's just a miserable existence. That's that's you know that's a miserable existence. I was fascinated as a youth by watching some. It was a large church I grew up in at times watching some of these wonderful people who were always frowning because they were always working so hard to get everything right. And it was just when I got older, it began to be a little heartbreaking. Can you just relax and revel in the fact that he is who he is? 
I am. He is the great I am. And that's where I'm putting my weight. And because he is that, I will do everything in the world to obey everything I think he wants me to do and everything he wants me to be. Really will. When you start thinking about who Jesus is and what he did. If it had just been me, he would have still gone to the cross. Yeah. Yeah. And stay there. I mean, seriously. We say that statement, and I was, and I, we say that. If it was just me, he would have gone to the cross. Just stop there. Yeah, but just stop there. Stop answering the right question, David. You got it right in a beautiful way. If it was just you, he would have went to the cross. You know what? It was just you. It was. That's what matters to you. I mean, I think it's wonderful that he went to the cross for Ruth Busby. Great. Warms my heart that he went for Ricky. What a, what a Jesus that he is. But you know what? He went for me. That's what matters. So don't stop or be apologetic with he would have gone if it was only for me. He went because it was only for you. And stay there. Live there. Yeah. 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 The bad one. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, look at, let's look at the next one. In John 8, uh, it comes and Jesus says, and, this is, and, and I have my own personal two favorites here. This is one of them. In John 8, uh, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees challenged him, said, you're bearing witness to yourself, and and blah, blah, blah. And he goes into this long discourse. What does it mean that Jesus, I am the light of the world? And before you answer that, look exactly how this book of John begins. How did it begin in the first chapter? Verse the 1, 2, 3, and 4. What does it mean when he says, I am the light of the world? Without light, you're wandering aimlessly. That's right. You wander aimlessly, you provide understanding, but it's more than that. Can anything live in darkness? I mean, there are some, I guess there's some like weird bats and, or, or fungus or something that lives, you know, or, or way down at the bottom of the sea or something. There's some things that live in darkness. But you know what I'm saying. Well, if you look at the very, how this, the, the book of John begins, in, in John 1 verse 4, in him, we're talking about Jesus, in him, well, 
let's, let's, be, let's be fair. Let's be fair about it. In the beginning was the Word, and we know that that's Jesus. And Jesus, we just substitute it because that's what it is. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, there was, and then it says uh, in verse uh, six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony to bear witness to the light that we all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. And the true light, which is Jesus, enlightens every man. And he was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own people received him not. But get this, listen to this, verse 12. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. I am the light of the world. That's, that hits you right here. What does, what does that do? It says, <laughs> you believe on him and all that that means, okay? He can give you the power. He has the power so that we can become children of God. That's... That's amazing. And here I am, the light, the life. I can give you life. It's it's your it's your belief in that I am that can make you children of God a brother of mine. That's the light of the world. And the darkness has not overcome it. As nasty as things can be, the darkness has not overcome it. How about the third one? Uh, John 10. I am the door of the sheep. Um, start in John uh, Verse, verse 1 of, of John 10. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Before we go on, what is, how does this, what is the sheepfold and the door and the gatekeeper and all of that stuff? What is all of that? How does all that work? How did it all work?
was for, for protection. And it was in, in, in every general village and town and where there, were, there was more than one shepherd and more than one sheep herder. But they had one collective area. And so this sheepfold at night, they would bring them all into the, to the one sheepfold. And there was one gate in, one door in, one door out. That was it. And then there was a gatekeeper who that may have rotated among the various shepherds, I'm not sure. But, so there was a gatekeeper. But everybody comes in and everybody goes out the same place. It's, it's much safer that way. It's how we can control the situation. And so... I recognize you as one of the sheep herders. You, you come in the morning, I go, yeah, that's Ricky. And I let you win. And the sheep hear your name. They know you, they know you, you know your sheep, and you lead your sheep out. And David comes next, and that, that's how it, how it worked. You know, I've had Really? So uh, the people that, that Christ is talking to back uh, here, they understood the nature of sheep. Well, I just learned something. But then being under the house would cut your heating bill. You may be onto something here, pal. They know that shepherd's voice. That's what it says. And you may have the same uh, situation with your dog or some pet you have, although I know you don't necessarily. Uh, <laughs> you ever seen Busby's dog? It's, one of them, it's a schnoodle doodle or whatever that thing is. It's part poodle and part bear. I don't know what it is. But generally speaking, like our dog, it knows... If I go, hey, boy, that's the, he, he knows right now. But you could come in and go, hey, and he would just. <laughs> so Jesus is talking about here is that these sheep, sheep know the shepherd's voice, that particular voice. Knowing the voice of the shepherd, each flock go in and out with their own shepherd. The Jews and the Pharisees present at that time didn't understand. So he Presses, presses it down, verse 7. So Jesus again says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not heed them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came... They, they may have life and have it abundantly. We've got like four minutes, and there's a lot to say there. But, but, I, but let's just for a moment talk about this abundantly. Um, does anybody's version in their Bible say have it more abundantly? 
Yours does? Okay. Yours the only one? Oh, no, there's some hands popping up now. I always had, that always troubled me because I don't know how, I don't know how you can have an abundant life without Jesus. And it's somehow, you know, there are many, there are many that will say more abundantly and then there's many that just say abundantly. That works better for me. Um, you need nothing else. Right. You, you, he says, the thief come only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm not sure that there is a more abundantly. Uh, it seems redundant. Abundant, uh, the abundant life is a, is a spiritual aspect. It's not about you're going to have less problems or you're going to have more money or you're going to have this or that. Um, it seems really to me that this abundant life is this Holy Spirit gift and the abundant part is that it's inexhaustible. It's inexhaustible. That's the abundant part for me. It's not a measure of, of this way. It's a matter of you're going to have a life because of me and believing in me, you will have life abundantly because it's inex- what I can provide, what the Father and I and the Spirit can what I is inexhaustible. So it's an, it's an abundant resource to you. I once went to a county fair and got to see a sheep face to face. And when you see that and you watch the characteristic of a sheep, they do the shepherd's voice. The problem is, so often, that's why we hate being compared to sheep, because by the way, they smell, they're obnoxious, but they're, very, they're also very timid. You even try to pet one, they like back away. And one of the things that I think is interesting here is, much like Sister Robinson said, we know the shepherd's voice, but we a lot of times choose not to listen to it. We we do the very thing that he says here in chapter ten. We're not supposed to be doing. We're listening to those other voices, and we sit there and when we see a sheep, we're just like, "Gee, God really compares to that lion." Well, we want to be like a peacock and have these right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but we're not and. We will be more with the sheep because the next one is, I mean, it's not just that he's the door. He's the good shepherd. He is the shepherd of the sheep. So it will be more of that. And you're right. Can you he's, have more of heaven? Yeah. Can, heaven is all it can be. Yes. And you're right, too, that Jesus is calling and we go, no, no. Anyway, thank you very much. Uh, we'll, we will continue next week. And... Lord willing, we will get these done, and then we'll go finish the book of John, and we will all grow closer to God and each other. Thank you.